And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 120 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, February 29th, 2016. So yeah, it's leap year, folks. Leap day here, February 29th, a day that only comes around once every four years. But even then, it doesn't come around every four years. We've had the leap years since Julius Caesar created the Julian calendar, of course, but we refined it a little bit when Pope Gregory came along and started his little old Gregorian calendar back in 1582. Now we have a leap year every four years, as long as the year is divisible by four. But if it's also divisible by 100, we don't leap, unless it's also divisible by 400, and then we do. Got that straight? Okay, good. Fun fact about the Gregorian calendar, it wasn't adopted in Britain until September 2nd, 1752. That means if you were a revolutionary and you went to bed on September 2nd, 1752 here in the U.S., still a British colony at that time, you woke up the next morning on September 14th, 1752. I get tired just trying to figure out time zones. Anyway, back to February 29th, the leap year also known as an intercalary or bisextile year, uh, also means a year with one more day of work than the others, and we don't get paid extra for it. So we're always trying to be helpful here at PNR. So we have our top 10 suggestions with what you might do with a whole extra day of time. Number 10, your marketing metrics should look a whole lot better than last February because guess what? You got one more day of results to show. So you should walk into your boss's office today and just drop the mic and go home. Or number nine, maybe take the time to actually write out that text or tweet instead of using emojis. Number eight, go visit each PNR episode sponsor and download their offering. Go ahead. We'll wait. Okay, number seven, try all day not to think about lemurs. Yeah, you're thinking about lemurs, aren't you? You can start that again tomorrow. Number six, the hot lava game. Play it in your office. Jump desk to desk on chairs pretending that the floor is hot lava. Number four, write a sentence that contains every meaning of the word content and content, the adjective of the state of peaceful happiness, a verb to satisfy the noun, a member of the British House of Lords who votes. So the content contents were contented with their vote on the law, which contained the contents of what they'd agreed upon. That eh, wasn't that great. Anyway, number three, ask Siri if she has any pets and change your Facebook profile to match whatever comes back. I got Mogwai. Number two, take an hour and pretend you're a robot and tell everybody that you're an Internet of Thing. And the number one thing you should do with all this extra time, you should listen to this episode of PNR's This Old Marketing. And because we're already here, let's get this episode underway. And for that, I need to bring in my friend, my co-host, my colleague, the Mr. Leap Year of Content Marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I couldn't be better on, on Leap Day. I'm so excited. Yeah. Happy Leap Day. We're leaping forward. Is it Happy Leap happy Day? Happy Leap Day. Is that what they... I, is that what that's what it's going to be from now on. We're going to make it Happy Leap Day. <laughs> And uh, do you know on this day, if you're in Ireland, a woman or a man cannot refuse to marry? In other words, if you ask somebody to marry you, they're not allowed to refuse. And the women go running for to is that I don't, know, it's a, I don't yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or the men go running one of the there's two there's more people yes. out to see that day than on any other day. <laughs> they're just running away from that. By the way, I have been informed by someone of great measure and information that I can actually purchase my Lord title. So 
I have actually got up on my screen in my office a few options where I could actually go purchase my little plot of land and call myself Lord Robert. So just want to leave that out no there. Way. If anybody would like to purchase it for me, by the way, and give it to me as a gift, I would be more than where happy to Where do you to have to procure it. the land? I mean, how does this work? Can you give us like the You can do it in anywhere. You have to do it in the – so I, I don't know all the rules yet. And apparently, quite frankly, this is a, as much a scam as it is anything else. But it's – apparently, you basically buy a small piece of land in Scotland or Ireland or the UK or Britain or England, rather. And once you do that, you are then – allowed to call yourself a lord because it basically means you're a landowner. It lord. Now, if you want something like baron or duke or archduke or prince, eh, that's that's going to cost you that's going to cost you a lot more. I don't know if it's how great that is because I already own a number of planets. Like I've called that uh, that 1-800 planet line. I I own like 6 or 7 of them. I mean, I Do you really? Okay. <laughs> it's like I it's like kind that. of a step down to then become a lord. <laughs> I, I'm I'm a I'm a galaxy owner. Oh, to, uh, to each his own, my friend. <laughs> to each his own. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my lord here. I'm gonna. No, you're, this you know, is something you should do. You absolutely yeah. have to do because I've been calling you Lord Robert for the last week. So <laughs> so is everybody. By the way, I've been getting lots of tweets on this. Yes, I've been getting lots of tweets on this, and God. some. So thank you, by the way, for all the tweets with the images with me in. The costume, it's been fantastic. Yes, so I appreciate has. all we of that. We have a great uh, audience. They're, they're very Yes, helpful. we do indeed. All right, do, we do, do we have uh, news All right, shall we shall to the news. Yes, absolutely. So some uh, top of the show here, we want to just get to a couple of quick updates from last week's show where we talked about Google and removing all the pay-per-click ads from the right-hand side of the search results page. Well, there has been an update in the last week, and this article comes to us courtesy of Search Engine Watch, which has said, dun-dun-dun, yes, there's been lots of speculation of what this means for business, um, but as we're going to see, they're going to now add an additional ad spot at the top of the page, showing four ads at the top instead of the three that are there. We're going to compare it, and then I, t- I totally want to get your take on these two stories, Joe, with another article about Google that came out this week as well, which is about this new service that Google is offering called AMP, A-M-P, which has publishers globally all over the world working on it now. And basically, and you're going to have to explain this to me, Joe, I guess the idea is, is that if you're AMP certified or AMP, you know, Google-fied or whatever it is, you will appear faster or better in search engines because your content has been optimized for mobile. So therefore, it is a certification of sorts, I guess, for getting your content seen in mobile uh, more organically. What do you? So what did you think about these two stories? Well, well, the first one, and by the way, we wanted to cover these because I'm just getting a hold of these in the last hour, but you and I both yeah, they're breaking important. news. Break, breaking breaking yeah. for us, at least. They, they came out the end of last week. So the one on Search Engine Watch, the, the thing, the most important thing to know about your organic search in, on desktop is it's going to be pushed down. There's going to be four, that four ads at the top. So there's nothing on the right sidebar anymore. There's going to be four ads at the top, and your organic listings are going to drop a little bit further. So... If you are smart, I would look and see what the results are going to be on display. Is it hurting? Is it helping? I don't know. So I think that's that's all I think we want to cover is that this is a thing. It's actually happening. <laughs> we need to look at it. And if you're like us, where we get a lot of organic traffic from Google, <laughs> it may be important and something that you should pay attention to. I think we should make that a hashtag. Hashtag, it's a thing. It's a thing. It's a, it's it's a thing. Google AMP. It's a thing. Well, that, hashtag, well, now, it's a now, thing. Now, let's, now let's go to Google AMP. And by the way, right. I knew nothing about Google AMP uh, except for like last week. 
uh, Google AMP it stands for Accelerated Mobile Pages. And oh, it does not. It, does it, is it actually an acronym? Yes. Oh, for crying out Google's, loud. Okay, this, fine. Yes. Yeah, so this is the article. This is from uh, Digiday. So uh, they're talking about how European publishers are starting to use accelerated mobile pages. And I sent this to our search team at CMI, and I wanted to get a little bit of detail because I'm trying to figure out what this means. And at least in the article, it says that Google AMP is sort of pegged as Google's answer to Facebook's instant articles, where they load faster. So this is the whole Uh, idea where if you use this code, this special open source code uh, that goes along with Google AMP, you would load faster. And the idea is, is that you would... It would help your search rankings because of this. So here's a little bit of detail coming from our amazing search team here at the CMI. And by the way, I, I don't nothing about that. I'm not a search engine expert. You can ask anybody out there, but we have a great search team and this is what they say. So basically, publishers like anyone listening to this, like CMI, you can code your websites to include Google AMP versions of articles. Now, there's some programming that goes along with this. Um some workarounds and things like that. But basically, the speculation is that AMP articles will get favor on mobile search because they would load faster, which, of course, always pleases Google and Google's users. Now, there was some buzz out there on other sites that talked about how Google may bless AMP results with a fast label. But what our team is saying is it's more likely that they'll use a lightning bolt and the word AMP uh, instead of the fast <laughs> label, and then the, some people, some marketers are thinking that an emoji. Basically, yeah, instead yeah, of saying faster, emoji. they're going to use yes, a damn emoji. That's, is exa- what they're gonna that's do. exactly the way uh, to to think about it. So basically, um, that it would draw attention on search results. So it'd be almost like that you mentioned that certification, a little emoji yeah. that says this one loads faster, and you should click on this one. So we'll have to see where the results go. The last thing that I'll say, and actually at at our content tech event last week, a couple of the presenters talked about this coding element involving schema. And I don't know anything about this. It's way beyond me. But but apparently, it's a special markup language that can be added to websites. And this is in, in a restaurant, for example, can use schema to play up their reviews and, and other things. So schema has been discussed as another way to gain favor with search engines. Uh, but this is sort of all this stuff that goes into it. So I guess the whole idea is... This Google AMP is a thing <laughs> to use your the hashtag. It's a thing. It's happening. And what we're doing at CMI is we're, we're act- absolutely looking at this and researching it and to see what we need to do about it because I think it's something that we need to be taken seriously because it sounds like Google's doing something about it. So. Okay, right. It's a thing. We. <laughs> it's definitely – it's definitely – a thing. Um, so anyway, we, we wanted to get this out for you guys just to make sure that we're staying updated on this whole thing. Um, as Joe said, get with your search team, see what the see you know see what the ramifications of this are because there will certainly you know here's what I worry about. The, the one thing I will say is that I you know I, I worry a bit about these kinds of things because does it end up being like the author tag where we spend all this time trying to get the author tag going with Google Plus and all that, and then all of a sudden that Google says, oh, remember that author tag thing? Yeah, not such a big deal. I think that it could absolutely so, be that way. I think that, yeah. and that's the problem with this. But I mean, you're not talking about a Facebook instant articles where there might be an opportunity. You're talking about you know deflecting risk. 
in this case. Yeah. No, it's a good so point. So it's a yeah, little bit a different where I'm assuming that anybody <clears throat> you know, that has a substantial amount of content or organic search findings, they might be getting anywhere from 20 to 60% of their overall traffic coming from search. That's which right. Is, which if yeah. this, you know, so now <laughs> it's probably nothing. It. It probably is not a thing. It's probably just. Right, exactly. just it's probably not a just thing. The hamsters inside the wheel, getting a little exactly. exercise. It's Google's planet. We just live on it. Yeah. Sergey's just laughing. All right. <laughs> yes. Anyway. So let's move on to our next right. story here. This one comes to us courtesy of the Harvard Business Review. Um, the article we'll link to in the show notes, of course, is the electronic version of this, but this came out in the print magazine, actually. The title of the article is Branding in the Age of Social Media. The article starts out by saying, in the era of Facebook and YouTube, brand building has become a vexing challenge. This is not how things were supposed to turn out. A decade ago, most companies were heralding the arrival of a new golden age of branding. They hired creative agents armies of technologists to insert brands through the digital universe. Memes, buzzworthiness, stickiness, the form factor became the lingua franca of branding. But despite all the hoopla, such efforts have had very little payoff. As a central feature of their digital strategy, companies made huge bets on what is often called branded content. The thinking went like this. Social media would allow your company to leapfrog traditional media and forge relationships with directly with consumers, and on and on and on. And he goes on in this article to really talk about this idea of something that he calls crowd culture, insert trademark here, because um, he trademarks it like 9,000 times in this article. Um, and he calls them, which I think is a, a more interesting, actually, uh, approach, he calls them amplified subcultures. Joe and I and the rest of us at CMI, we might call this niche audiences. Um, he basically says these amplified subcultures are where you can find communities gathering around very niche things like a community for Victorian novels or a community about new urbanism or 3D printing, etc. And he says that we have to go beyond this idea of branded content and something that he calls cultural branding – Word branding is mentioned too many times here, and he actually mentions um, uh, Chipotle that did their um, really talked about this farmed and dangerous, which helped them talk about safety and food and mass food, and that really didn't help Chipotle very much. But let's be honest. But you know, um, anyway, I come to the conclusion, and I want totally want to get your take on this, Joe. He, it, really, what he's talking about here is content marketing, delivering value through the idea of content that is appealing and valuable to this subculture, this amplified subculture that he talks about. Did you come away with anything different here? Um, yes, I guess. Okay, good. Good. Well, I'm glad you did. The, yes. I mean, if you, if you read the whole article, which is quite lengthy, you'll get to, I think, the whole idea that we've been talking about with content marketing because there is the consumer there and they have access to a smartphone 24 seven and they can choose to ignore your advertising. And so what are you going to do to break through? You have to create valuable, relevant, compelling information to a very specific audience. That's basically the whole article in a nutshell. The problem is, right. I got, it was a very negative tone started. Basically. Yes. He's talking about branded. He's saying, he's saying this is branded content and he really is in some cases calling it branded content. But I just thought the negativity was how these brands would – I mean he used tricking and gimmicks and really right. focusing on entertainment, not relationships. And, and then he gets into sponsoring, which I didn't know if he was talking about you know, actually sponsoring shows or branded content and then product placement. So he's mixing up kind of all those things into – Yes, what, it's, a, it's definitely a witch's yeah. brew of 
concepts here. It's kind of hard to keep track of all of his metaphors that he's got running here. It's 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 hard to follow. I will. So, anyways, that's that. where. I, and and the one thing, and I think we talked about this a little bit last week. The the one area that I really disliked the part of the article was when he's talking about the the amount of traffic some of these sites get and the amount of subscribers that they get. For example, he talks about Coca Cola, and he says. You know, Coca-Cola's journey, you know, they started it with liquid content. Of course, we've talked about Jonathan Mildenhall on the show. He spoke at Content Marketing World in 13. We love the whole initiative and said and basically says that the whole thing was a failure because Coca-Cola only has 676,000 subscribers on their YouTube page. And I'm exactly. like, what? Like, you can't say it. Like, what does that matter? You could they could have two subscribers. It, you can't say that something is successful or not successful because of one channel having X amount of subscribers when you don't even know. The but it goes, line. yeah, and it and it goes against everything he talks about in the front half of the article that speaks to this idea of amplified subculture. Right, the whole point of an amplified subculture is the fact that it's small, niche, and focused on very, very specific things. And so, if you're actually going to succeed in this and deliver value to that amplified sub- subculture, you've got to be very, very specific. And so, comparing this is—I mean, we talk about this in the masterclass, we talk about this in workshops, where the, the really what we're talking about—the advantage we have as brands, as marketers, over the mass media companies is that we don't have to go viral. We don't have to be big. We have to be specific to a very specific audience, specifically valuable to a very specific audience. And so when I look at um, the subscribers to BuzzFeed or to subscribers to, you know, Vox or something like that, and then look at that and go, great, it's so much bigger than the 672,000 people who subscribe to Coca-Cola. Guess what? If I'm Coca-Cola, I go, yeah, but guess what? I got half a million people to subscribe to Coca-Cola. That You yeah. know what I mean? It's like these are 672,000 people who care about Coca-Cola. I'm not out there competing with NBC and ABC Those and CBS and Fox. Those are the true advocates. Those that's, are the true believers. Right. These, yeah. are the, these, are my, these are my believers who cared enough to want to subscribe to my content. And those are people that I care very much about. And guess what? It's more effective for me to reach them. It's more effective for them to want to share with their friends. And quite frankly, it doesn't cost me much to keep them engaged and as a sort of ongoing pressure. All I got to do is create wonderful content. Now, I know all you got to do is in that sentence. But, you know, it to me, this is such a mishmash of comparisons of apples and oranges here that I, so I, I, I come back to this. I like the overall idea, right? That we're delivering value to this idea of an amplified subculture. He calls it crowd culture um, that delivers value to it in a way that helps us differentiate us in a marketplace. That to me, as I said, is content marketing. And then, but to jumble it all up together to your point where it feels like we're tricking or missing or, or trying to goad people into something that's unhealthy for them. To me, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. I just, I just don't understand. Well, I, I actually wish the examples at the so basically goes through these five steps of this is what you have to do to identify this crowd culture thing, and then goes through Dove and Old Spice and I think another campaign, which is fine by right. the way, which is actually pure branded content, not content. Right. I wish would have talked about some things like an American Express Open Forum. Would have been or Adobe's CMO.com, right? Something right. that was a consistently driven, very specific, very targeted, very purposeful, and 
Johnson and Johnson's baby. Yeah, Center actually, and, and actually, yeah. brand as content brand because there's a whole section of this article where they talk about PewDiePie and the rise of the YouTubers and how it's very difficult for brands to compete with these individuals. And if you're just a brand and you come out as Coca-Cola, yes, that is much more difficult than than you know c- competing with just a PewDiePie. That's why the content brand is so important. That's why you That's get right. into it's not Coca-Cola, it's Journey <clears throat> or it's um, it's CMO.com or it's Baby Center, yeah. right? Exactly. Brought to you by those people because then you can have an affiliation with that content brand where maybe you wouldn't necessarily have that with the brand itself and then it kind of works for itself. But I mean, the, the, yeah, the idea is, oh yeah, you want to be purposeful. You want to make connections with specific people. You want to be absolutely targeted. You're not talking about the masses. So I think overall the idea is, yes, I agree with this, but I don't understand sort of how the author got to the end. <clears throat> here's, here's the, here's, here's one thing that, that, sort of hopefully is helpful because one of the things that frustrated me a little bit about this is this idea of, of, of what he talks about in the beginning of this amplified subculture and the resistance they have to wanting to share and or engage with a brand, right? They, 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 there's a sort of disinclination to share with the brand because they recognize it as marketing because it's the brand putting it out there. That's exactly the reason why a content brand can make sense. Now, you know, I was just having this debate with someone over email last week about whether every company should have a content brand. I, I don't know yeah. the answer to that. Probably the answer is no. But here's the thing. When we start talking about it, it's not a binary thing, right? So when I say – when I look at one end of the extreme and I go, here is a content brand, babycenter.com. You don't if you look at that site, you have no idea that Johnson and Johnson owns it, operates it, and it's a division of Johnson and Johnson. And they do that very, very purposely. It is a content brand meant to engender trust with moms and dads who are parents of newborn kids. That's what it's for. They use it for innumerable things to drive value for the business, but that's the whole point. They know that if it was Johnson & Johnson's babycenter.com that they wouldn't have the same kind of engagement level. Now, moving across the spectrum... By the way, you can, con- not- you can go on with that, but I disagree with that. But that's fine. Yeah, I know you disagree with that. <laughs> you I, can keep I talking, know we've had this debate. But that's we not had right. this de- Oh, thank you. I appreciate the fact that I can keep talking. But all right, fine, fine. We move across the spectrum to the right just slightly. And we get into things like indiums from one engineer to another, where you know it's indium bringing it to you, but it's actually the value of that conversation with indium that you value. And then you look at something like craft, where it's a little bit in between, right? It, you know it's craft if you look for it, but Food and Family Magazine is not there now. All right, so now rip no, me no, no, no. I, 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 all I would it. say is <laughs> that I think that Johnson and Johnson misses a lot of the benefits by not saying it's that it's theirs. I don't think they do, dude. I don't think they do. I don't think they do. They now could they change the purpose and the goal to be more purchase intent or more top of the funnel? To be a trusted advisor and a trusted expert, if they don't know who's to trust. No, 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 no. That's not the. See, here's the point: the the baby center is a is a pure content brand. Baby center is the trusted brand. So therefore. If a consumer never makes the leap to Johnson & Johnson, that's perfectly fine for Johnson & Johnson. They're perfectly fine with that because the value that they get out of that property doesn't have anything to do 
with the uh, increased brand awareness and or purchase intent for their products. They use that data that they gather from those engaged mothers and fathers who are joyfully engaging with babycenter.com to do things like optimize their messaging, to do things like figure out what parts of the country care about Tylenol or which care, cares about talcum powder or which they, they get all the value out of the R&D research out of that, owning that audience, not the brand association for the top of the funnel uh, branding efforts. I, even, if I, even if I would agree with that, <laughs> even if I would, here well, comes the caveat, folks. In this, and and we know this, we're in a very uh, delicate environment of transparency right now. I mean, look at all the political stuff that's going on around us right now. Transparency is key. I think that you're taking a real risk by, and I'm not saying plaster it over the front. Transparency of, and trust are two different. Yes, things. I'm absolutely. I'm saying that. I'm, I'm switching. I'm switching a topic. I'm, I'm saying trust is one thing that I'm arguing. And then I'm then I'm saying okay, let's just say I agree with you that they're getting all kinds of value out of it and trust is not one of the things they're looking for. I'll say, okay, fine. Let's just say, say, okay, you're right, Robert, on that. The second thing is you've still got the transparency issue because at the end of the day, you can get called on it. Because you could be say, even though it may not be true, somebody no, could I say, don't think you get, you're, I don't, why are you hiding the fact that you're the publisher? I don't think you get called on it unless you actually make use out of it. In other words, if Johnson & Johnson stays true to that and stays out of the way... I think if they if it's it's only when they would screw, they would only screw up is if now they went in and tried to rebrand it as J and J's Baby Center and tried to I think that's the only time people would go I was hoodwinked by staying way out of the way out of the spotlight in fact purposely out of the spotlight I think they do themselves a service I think they do <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. I, I just, I just I can't. Make, I, I'm with you, my friend. I can't make that leap. I want you, something yeah. on the top of the homepage that just says compliments of brought to you by something J and J. That's what I want. It's so funny. It's so funny that you're arguing for the marketer's perspective, and I'm arguing from the publisher's perspective. That is that's, actually. That's this is that's called irony, is, folks. Well, it irony. Is, it is leap day. <laughs> okay, so to, so wrap this up. The one thing that All I will right. say about the article is the yeah. last paragraph I think says it the way it's this sort of comes back to where I, where I think we should be is he goes on and says don't focus on the platforms they call the shots focus on the story that you're trying to tell exactly. and that I totally agree with yes. like it's not saying Chipotle is exactly right. not successful because they had a YouTube strategy or Old Spice not, wasn't successful because they had a Facebook strategy they focused on the stories they were trying to tell to the particular people they're trying to tell that story to Exactly. So, so yes. Actually, if I just read the last paragraph, I think I'd have been okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's so a lot of good, lot of good things. Cut everything just, that precedes yeah, it. Just no, it's a, a good article. You should. I have a hard time. The, in other words, I, I, I think we, we're recommending the article, yes. but read it from that through that lens, and I think you'll get a lot of value out of it. Well, it's if you if you if you never like stick your t- toe in the content marketing pool, and you just let's say you're on Madison Avenue all the time and you that's where you've lived and breathed and you look at this, you would say, oh yeah, branded content. Because it's all yeah. muddled into that same thing. That's what they, oh, product placement, sponsored content. all the, Yeah, just branded content, all the content marketing, all the same. They don't differentiate. Of course, when we read it, that's the first, it's like, oh, that's not content marketing. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. So it just depends on where you're coming from. Absolutely. So, right. so <laughs> and by the way, 
I'm right. Okay, so <laughs> let's let's move along here. Um, we're going to move to our next story, which comes to us courtesy of Digiday, um, and this one comes with big hat tip, by the way, to Carl Yeth, um, who actually sent this over. Um, this one I know we're going to agree on, and I also know that it's near and dear to your heart, my friend. Um, Dennis Publishing, a publishing company, is selling cars now. So from Digiday, the article opens up and says, magazine group Dennis Publishing still gets the majority of its online revenue from advertising, but it's betting on e-commerce for its future. The publisher, home to The Week, a portfolio of tech brands and auto magazines, including Auto Express and Car Buyer, is moving off the typical affiliate link e-commerce offering many publishers tout, and it's actually selling cars, a lot of them. And that's because last year it bought e-commerce business buyacar.co.uk. By the way, we should mention this is in the UK and moved its five staff into the Dennis proposition. Um, and so what do you think, Joe? I mean, this is this is what you've been talking about coming to life here. Uh, well, of course, I fell in love with this article as soon as you sent it to me. And it makes too much sense. And yes, they talked about the struggles they have because it is a different business than the media business. When you really yep. get into actually selling cars, this is hardcore e-commerce, what they're doing. There's a lot of... Uh, in the transaction business, there's a lot of different things that are going on. They talk about this in the article. So I guess if you are a media company and you're trying to figure out how to diversify revenue streams in this era where advertising is getting harder and harder for people to pay for, pay for this is fantastic. I think this yeah. is sort of – and the last paragraph goes on into – um, you know, dis- it says display advertising isn't dead. This is not a thing where they're giving up on advertising right. yep. or all the other things that they're doing or their events. And they're just saying it's very important right now with them as a media company in the year 2016 to diversify their revenue streams. In fact, he says exactly that, right? That's a quote. He says, we're a publishing business. So this was a big change for us and an important way to diversify our revenue stream. And you could you could argue that We've been saying just the opposite, right? We say, hey, okay, well, you have products and services to sell, and that's why it makes sense for you to have this media arm. I mean, or or to buy a media company or to start a media company. So it goes both ways. And it doesn't mean you have to sell advertising or diversify your revenue stream because of it. But but it could. But as you say – the the only difference between that is where does the money come from right where you know where is you know so using that to optimize you becoming you becoming the only provider of that media that content helps to optimize the sale of your product and 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 or create a better customer experience or decrease your customer acquisition costs or so many other values to the business that this can offer this becomes a way to diversify your marketing stream, if you want to look at it that way, your expense stream into something that can help all of those expense streams um, optimize in the right well, way. Well, somebody – actually, I was in an interview. This is last week, and we, I was talking about this whole thing about the evolution of content marketing and what media companies are doing, and they might launch products. And, and the, the journalist asked me, well, uh, how do you tell the difference between a media company and, and a brand that sells products and services? I says, well – it, the perception is the perception of whatever that that reality is to the person, but you, in a business model sense, you can't, you won't, you will not be able to yeah. tell the difference. So in the next five years, how do you, what's a media company and what's not? I don't know. I mean, r- right now, right. so is Dennis Publishing a media company? Yes. Are they a brand that sells products and services? Yes. So right. you, it's just harder to categorize, and that's why we're that's going to happen both ways. So whatever, if you're just selling products and services right now, I can pretty much bet on it. In ten years, you're gonna you, you the business as the business model as you look at it, 
you could just as well make the case that you're a media company. Exactly. I mean, and we can see this. You can see it happening, and it has already happened. You know, you ask, you know, what is Lego a media company or is it a product company? You know, is is you know is Coca Cola a media company or is it a product company? Is there, there well, are Red so Bull, many? Of course, Red Bull you know, has their Red own Bull, media house. Course, they yeah. could they could actually lop off the Red Bull media house, and it'd be a it it'd be one of the uh, best rated sports media companies on the planet. That's with right. The mo- with the, yeah, one of the larger exactly. audience bases. But they don't have yeah. to. They feel that it's more of an asset to keep those two together. That's exactly so, right. And, and by the That's way, exactly it's right. Red Bull Media House. It's Red Bulletin from Red Bull. Uh, they're very transparent about that. <laughs> I just wanted to, you know, just wanted to, just wanted to throw that, throw that out there. As much as I it's like a Baby spectrum, Center, dude. It's a spectrum. It's a spectrum. <laughs> yes, you're right. It's no. The there's no hard and fast rule. I'll be the first one to exactly. say. I would just it prefer. Depends upon the I goal. Prefer. I just prefer. It's just my preference. Yeah. Okay. So anything else right, they well, have on, all, on that? Let's, let's all there? live to your it's, preference. Let's all live to your preference, Jeff. No, there's nothing else that's on just that a particular good, story. Darn good article. It's there a really, go. really nice thing. Okay, so moving on to our last story of the show here. This one is uh, centered on my uh, world or my former world, certainly. TV networks recast the role of commercials. This comes to us courtesy of the New York Times, actually. And it speaks to Monday's season premiere of the NBC reality singing competition, The Voice, uh, will include a bonus interview with last season's winner. During Blind Spot, the hit hour-long drama about the, you know, have you seen that show, by the way? The, the tattooed woman who's so beautiful. Um, I've not. But no, have I you am, seen that show? I not. Should I? Should I? No, oh, it's such a, eh, the I show is okay. I mean, it's, it, it's, yeah, I live it's, my, it's, it's I live good. through you. You just tell me what, what's good. Oh, for crying out loud okay there will be anyway there will be interviews with the show's creator and two of its stars um, and the Today Show on NBC is going to feature an extended segment with Kathy Lee Gifford and Hoda Kotb Late Night with Seth Meyers they're going to do all these sort of extended segments around um, their uh, programming and not air commercials during it. But each of those extra programmings um, will also actually be sponsored by, and they're going to be brought to you by, they're going to be sponsored by American Express. So is this, I mean, we're seeing native advertising. We're seeing this, and it's not them creating the content. They're actually creating the content. This is what is, you know, what is old is new again, right? Um, and as the article says, this may be a bit of a gimmick, but it may not. This is a thing that they're doing for February 29th, for Leap Day. But are we seeing the beginning of something new in television, my friend? This this is obviously not new. This is as old as I, old right. as you can this get, right? A, so this is as old as television. Yeah, as old as sure. television. Uh, and we when, when was the whatever episode of PNR where we talked about Conan O'Brien? Where I was watching Conan yeah. O'Brien, and all of a sudden they they didn't go to commercial break, and they just started into doing something on the Xbox or PlayStation Tony Hawk's game, and I just realized, oh my gosh, this is actually a paid for spot of Conan doing yeah. this thing. Um, I think this you're going to see more and more of this. Uh, I don't. This doesn't mean that the the traditional uh, 15 or 30 second spot is going away, but I think more and more of this you're going to see. And what I thought was interesting, I wanted to get your take on it. Does this mean that it is? It could be could be for American Express significantly less expensive because they don't have to actually create the spot. 
I know they're paying yes. for the media. Well, they're paying. No, no, no. That's that's absolutely yeah. true. I mean, look in the scheme of life, it's not that much. I mean, we're talking a rounding error, really. But but the in the what it here's an interesting. Here's two things that it that that I think have big implications here. One is ab- you're absolutely right. Pointing out that they know they don't have to create anything. The spot that they wanted, that they actually want to talk about, will be created for them, and probably I don't think they have any approval over that, but they certainly have some level of participation in terms of their approval. But the other thing is, is that they this cuts out to a great extent the agency and the media buy. Yeah, there's there's no. There's no media buy here other than a direct relationship that they're going to have with NBC, the American Express and NBC here. If there was an agency involved here, I'd be surprised and maybe I wouldn't be surprised. But 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 nonetheless, I think this does set up a situation where you could see more and more networks start to interact. And we I've actually seen some articles on this where networks are starting to interact directly with brands for these types of deals rather than going to the media buyers at the agencies. And so this is yet another sort of uh, canary in the coal mine, if you will, for agencies to say this is changing. Things are changing. And the idea of that 30-second spot being around forever just well, – And by the way, this is 90% of podcast advertising right now is exactly that, like this. That's exactly So right. they're taking yeah, it to the visual exactly. medium. Uh, I, it's just going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I think you're going to start seeing certain shows uh, that this is all you're going to see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the execution of this and how how American Express is integrated into the content. That I'll I'll be really well, curious look, to see that. By the way, it's tonight. It's tonight. You know what we're talking about. Are you going to watch some of this? You got to let me know. Yeah, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to watch some of this to see how it actually how they execute with it. I'm I'm really going to. I'm very well, but think of it this way because they mentioned BuzzFeed in the article uh, that they secured a 200 million dollar investment from NBC Universal. Yeah, but the, but the po- the point is. The majority, 90x percent of BuzzFeed's revenue comes from native advertising and sponsored content programs. That's what they're used exactly. to doing. Of course, we talked about Huffington Post has over 100 people just in their native advertising uh, editorial group. Uh, this is what they're very much used to. And folks like BuzzFeed and Vox are now getting into traditional television as you yep. would actually watch it on a cable station or on NBC. Well, yeah. Then we get into last week's conversation about what is television, right? So then that's a whole – that gets into a whole other thing. And speaking of which, <laughs> speaking of podcast advertising, we have an amazing sponsor to talk about, a new sponsor, a returning, a returning sponsor. sponsor. You know what? Robert, I actually really like the returning sponsors because I, – I, They're my it, favorite. They're absolutely my favorite because they have recognized the value of P&Rs, this old market. It means that we didn't screw up back. so bad. The first exactly. time that they, they said, well, we'll, we'll <laughs> try it again and see. But anyways, our sponsor of PNR's This Old Marketing this week is GoToWebinar. Robert, did you know that webinars are consistently rated as the number one marketer tactic for lead generation with over 60% of all marketers use, utilizing webinars? Did you know this? I did know, I did know did. that. I absolutely well, did you, know that. You, you apparently know everything on this show. Yes, <laughs> I am right. You are but, wrong, and I am but, right. Many businesses still struggle with how to find their target audience and deliver the right message. Following a very simple five-step plan, the keys to using webinars for successful lead generation go from daunting to doable. I'm going to say that again. Oh, I like that. Daunting, I like that. daunting to doable. To doable. I actually really like that. It might be the daunting be the name to of, doable. No, 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 no more. Yeah, okay, no more songs. All right. <laughs> I can't get the last one from the last episode out of my head. 
from finding <laughs> your audience and developing engaging content to authentic interaction and webinar promotion, you'll discover the five steps to attract your target audience to your next webinar. Let's do this again. This is go to webinars, five steps to attract your target audience to your next webinar. You can get this at bit.ly.com slash go to webinar dash attract dash audience bit.ly.com slash go to webinar dash attract dash audience. Or when the show notes come out on Saturday, just go to them and you will see the beautiful, uh, webpage that we'll have up there specifically for go to webinar, click on it, download it, engage in it, love it, get your webinar on. The struggle is real. Love it. (laughs) The struggle is real. (laughs) I love that. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you to them. They are a delightful, delightful sponsor. And I absolutely do know this thought piece and it's just great. So do yourselves a favor and, and, and understand some of those, those, those great best practices there. Okay. Fantastic. Let's move on to your favorite part of our show. It is our rants and rave section where we go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like, Oh, I don't know. It makes us feel like February we're leaping forward or leaping back, as as it may be. And um, you have it, do you? Or you no, have I this have. Old, yeah, you have this whole marketing. So, so you are up this first, week. my friend. Okay. Well, here we go. So I have two small rave, not small raves in the fact that I'm raving smallly about them, um, but rather that they are short in duration. Um, and the first one is well. I don't know if this one's really a rave or if it's more just a piece of commentary. The the article that we'll link to in the show notes comes from uh, TechCrunch.com. And and the article itself is actually – the title of it is Martech's Bumpy Road, Consolidation, Growth, and a New Frontier. Now, this shouldn't be – unfamiliar territory for any of our frequent listeners who sort of listen to us. We've talked at great length about how we expect this year um, to be – one filled with consolidation, one filled with mergers, and a number of the technology solutions that are helping us through our content and marketing challenges to actually sort of fall by the wayside. So certainly the way this article opens up, I'm in full agreement with here. And they talk about how um, over the last five years, there's been $134 billion in venture funding spawning more than 2,000. If you've seen Scott Brinker's MarTech chart, you know what I'm talking about. 2,000 companies, new channels, new data streams, new workflows. All of this has disrupted the sort of traditional processes of marketing. And you see it on both sides of this, right? You see it on big and small alike. Um, you know, so my observation, and I was just talking with a group of, of New York investment bankers about this, on the large side, you have companies that are really, quite frankly, struggling with this whole MarTech thing. You have Teradata, who has basically announced that they're going to sell off their MarTech uh, stack solution, and they're looking for a buyer for that. SDL has said the same thing. They're looking to sell off their um, customer experience MarTech stack. Intuit got out of the business. We talked last week about LinkedIn and Bizzo, them getting out of the business. A story that we thought we were going to talk about um, but killed it for time consideration was Yahoo has just killed off their Outbrain and Taboola competitor. Um, There have been a number of, of sort of 
exiting the market, as it were, as we start to see some of the survivors come up here, the companies like Adobe and Salesforce and Oracle and some of them that are really starting to succeed in this, all while bubbling up like a big stew over here are all these smaller disruptive solutions that are out there in the marketplace. This article then goes on to talk about this. So the disruption is real. Talk about hashtag the struggle is real. It's really real here. And so the article talks about why are we then, you know, if, if the buyer's market is still there and these CMOs are still buying, why does everybody in MarTech feel so down in the dumps right now? And many of it's because what we have seen that marketing has really yet to sort of find its stride in terms of, you know, getting that giant company, that Salesforce.com-like company in the MarTech space. And then he goes on to talk about ad tech and the difference between B2B and B2C marketing. And he comes to the conclusion, this uh, this author does anyway, um, that basically one of the things that we'll start to see here is the B2C system of record. And he goes on to describe what that is. And what I want to point out here, and this is, I guess, the part that's a rant if it is such, is that I, and I've, I've said this on the show before, so I'm repeating myself to some a certain degree here, which is this idea of a marketing automation solution that could be quite simply reconfigured to not be about so focused on driving leads through a funnel and could rather be reconfigured to be an audience development and media outlet for marketing. In other words, as he calls it, he says, we what, the, the author of this article says really wonderfully basically saying, we with the he says where do we start the customer database he says quote in today's environment the customer database captures not only people who have purchased from you but people who have not and this to me says audience database this yeah. is something that we need we need the ability to create an audience in a database and a marketing automation solution is the closest thing we have right now and when i was in content tech and i was actually having a chat with the wonderful people who showed up with the chat room we talked about this subject and at least 10 of the marketers in the chat room said to me privately or on the chat itself, you know what? We've been having this exact conversation with our marketing automation company. We can't understand why this isn't more of a feature set. So please, marketing automation companies out there, get this going. Get yourself, reskin the product. It needs to be an audience development where we can develop an audience of data, a database audience of people where we can derive value out of it and use it for content marketing. And that's what I'll say. It's a good article, by the way. It's a good article, I think. And, and the second thing I'll just very, very quickly here is just a rave and it's totally branded content, but it's just wonderful if you haven't seen it. It's from IBM and it's Carrie Fisher. She's facilitating a, basically a, psychology oh, session, a group session. Yeah. It's so wonderful where basically the, you know, Watson is participating in this group session and basically pisses off all the other robots. It's just really, really wonderful. And I just, so we'll link it in the show notes, obviously, but it's just a great hat tip to Chuck Fry there, our um, operations guy on the CMI University who pointed this out to me. It's just a wonderful piece of branded content, just a great piece. And I just loved it. There you go. There's my two, there's my two pieces of commentary for this. I'll week. tell you what, Carrie Fisher is mesmerizing. I, I would watch it. <laughs> if she's doing any kind of interview show, yeah. I'm there. Yeah, I'm watching that. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. It's great. It's a great piece. Yeah. Uh, so I have a very quick rave, and my rave this week <clears throat> is a book. Uh, and it's based on a conversation I had with our good friend Paul Reitzer, uh, who runs the agency PR 2020. And by the way, Paul's presentation at Content Marketing World 2016 in September this year is about marketing and machine learning. So we were talking about marketing and machine learning, and from that back and forth, I was telling him how much I loved uh, The Big Short. Of course, got it, 
did, what did they take? Did they take home one or two winners last night? I don't know how many they got, but you know, Big Short was up for a lot, yeah. a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of the awards at the Oscars yesterday. Uh, Big Short from Michael Lewis, the author, who also wrote a book that I read called Flash Boys, which is basically the inside scoop about electronic machine trading. And then from that conversation, he recommended and said, "Joe, you've got to read this book called Automate This: How Algorithms Came to Rule the World." And the author is Christopher Steiner. Have you have you read this? You have not read this book, correct, Robert? I have not okay. read this. I'm very so you anxious read to this read book. it, though. Now, it's four years old, but extremely relevant, and especially because we've got Intelligent Content Conference coming up next week, and I'm going to use some of the material in there. But basically, uh, Steiner takes you through all the industries where algorithm, algorithms are taking over. So some examples include how 70% of all the trades in the stock market and all your mutual funds and individual stocks are made by computers, never touching a human being at all. And then it talks about how in the very near future, your first step to a health diagnosis will be a bot doctor, whether that's at home or whether that's in the hospital, which can in just a few questions and run through you know, 20 million different scenarios in seconds, and there's no way that a regular doctor can actually do this for you. Um, there's other things that doc- basically you'll see a lot of movement in what doctors do and what they don't do. But I thought it's just really interesting to kind of see how technology and the data sets are there so that the technology can do that and help with the customer experience. So as I said in my preparation for the opening wow. keynote – at uh, Intelligent Content Conference, I've been looking at this and what it would look like for marketing. So right now, most organizations uh, can't take advantage of sending the right content to the right person at the right time, leveraging technology or machine learning or whatever you want to call it, because the content isn't set up the right way. It's not structured. It's not structured to scale like this. Still, most brands are starting... You know, we talk about this, and Andrea Ames, who's doing the keynote, she works at IBM, doing one of the keynotes at ICC. She, her whole thing is on you don't have to start over every time. And I think that's what a lot of brands are doing. They're starting over every time when they create these new content programs. And if you're a marketer at a larger brand, I really believe that it's this type of book that you should jump into and start to understand what will be possible in the future with leveraging technology that's already available as well as what will come. So if the, the book, again, I really <laughs> do awesome. believe – like after reading this, I've been going through it a couple times, Robert, and I really do believe like this is where – and we've been doing this. We've been at Content Marketing Institute spending more of our time in this area. But I really anticipate more of it happening because other industries are taking advantage of this because they're setting up their data and their algorithms in a certain way so that they can fix problems so that they can anticipate the type of content that's needed. And I think we're just a little bit behind in marketing. So, again, this book is Automate This from Christopher Steiner. And by the way, there's a 12 minute uh, TEDx presentation that you can view. And I'll put that in the show notes as well if you want the Cliff Notes version. But I highly recommend it. I'm I'm like 75% of the way done. I'm just toward the end of it. But it's just one of those books that you're just sitting there and I'm taking it all in and I'm like, what if? And I I really do believe that this is a lot of uh, – if we can look at it from a marketing lens, I think you'll see a lot of value. I'm, I, I literally bought it as you oh. were talking. I, I, went, I went and got it. Because I'm going to read it tonight. I'm going to read that thing tonight. Well, good. Well, it's, then my opening yeah. keynote, because then I introduce you at Intelligent Content, maybe it'll it'll flow instead of like this episode yeah. where we're just when all I need <laughs> something else to disrupt my my keynote already in prior. Exactly. Oh my goodness! Probably change. No, my no, no, keynote no, no, no. Based You're on fine. It. Yeah. You're yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. This old marketing. All right. We have a this old marketing that is kind of a cool one. It's really so. I came to this one in a really weird way. 
So, um, so this will show my age, but I happen to be a huge fan of the original Batman. Do you remember the original Batman from the 1960s? I've seen the reruns. Okay. Yes. All right. So, yes. Adam, it's you're talking about Adam fabulous. West. Of yeah. course I'm talking about Adam West, which is, of course, in his – in. so I was watching an old episode over the weekend, and it was happened to be an episode where they featured the Bat Computer. Do you remember the oh, Bat sure. Computer? And so l- many people don't know, and I actually went and did a little research on this, that the that the Bat Computer was actually modeled after a computer um, uh, produced by the Burroughs Corporation. Um, and the Burroughs Corporation has been around forever and had a, uh, a system called the B205, I think, which was looked exactly like the Bat Computer. If, you, if you've seen the Bat mm-hmm. Computer, you've seen the Burroughs 205. It's, it's, it's basically that kind of computer with punch cards and the whole thing. So anyway, so I, I started doing a little research into Burroughs Computer and Burroughs, uh, specifically Burroughs adding machines. So in 1886... Um, there was a company called the American Arithmometer, or Arithmometer, I guess is the way you pronounce that company, was established. It was in St. Louis, and it was building adding machines, uh, and it was selling the adding machines that were invented by this guy, William Burroughs. Um, and um, he was, by the way, side note here, the grandfather of the Beat Generation author, the other William Burroughs. So there you go. Um, fascinating sort of thing there as well. Anyway, so the Burroughs Adding Machine Company was around in the late 1800s. And as they got into the early 1900s, they were building and selling all of these different ways uh, and different methods of adding machines. And in 1916, they were really basically out there competing in the marketplace. And one of the marketing uh, aspects that they really wanted to go after was creating value for these uh, accountants, this new practice of accounting and, and uh, people who were um, working in banks and, and those sorts of things and would obviously make use of the Burroughs adding machines. And so they launched a magazine. And the magazine was called The Burroughs Clearinghouse, started publishing in 1916, and within basically 10 years had a, a circulation of 50,000. So they were circulating this to 50,000 people, and the whole point of the magazine was, as they said, quote, in the masthead, the exchange of information among banks because the financial community is our mainstay. We're going to include discussions of banking operations such as check handling and money transfer and auditing and automation and bank equipment and buildings. And then they also covered editorial things like different kinds of banks and what different banking activities were, such as rural versus urban, financial foreign trade, correspondent banking, consumer and construction lending, all kinds of things related to banking and what bankers and the people who worked at banks would care about um, in their day-to-day work. Um, Then they also sort of expanded the editorial to cover also things about domestic and the international economy. And they published this magazine for at least, and I couldn't find a closing date on it, but at least until the 1970s. So at least 50 years they published this magazine. And there are old, old, old copies out of it. And the only thing I could find was really old photo scanned um, copies of this magazine that were were out there. and it just looks fascinating. And ultimately, Burroughs was um, merged with a company called Sperry Systems um, that ultimately became a company called Unisys, which you mm-hmm. might remember. 
And then, of course, Unisys then sold off the that adding machine piece to now there is a Burroughs Payment Systems located in Michigan, which is now went to the website on Sunday, and it's there, and it's basically – and it would be awesome if they relaunched the magazine, um, the P- Burroughs Publishing – or the uh, Burroughs Clearinghouse magazine. But I just thought a really awesome example of here's somebody – Here's a company that for 50 years published consistently a magazine based on delivering value to their constituent audience, and it's just a wonderful example. And did of this did you find a picture of the cover and everything? Like you, there were some bad. It's interesting, you know. You'd look for it, and there's some. There are some pictures of the cover out there, but they're not good. They're they're you know there's some eBay. Yeah, copies that's where you usually find like that. them. Like when I was looking for Lincoln Electric's old magazine, I found them on eBay. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. There's a whole market for these old magazines, I guess, and it's really kind That's of fascinating. That's a great. Where'd you find that one? That... I, I quite literally, I was watching Batman. I went, oh, I, what kind of pewter? And I started looking for Batman computer, right? And then I saw that it was linked to the Burroughs machine. And I went, oh, that's cool. And I started, and then I went to the Wikipedia page of Burroughs, and I started, and in that, oh in the Wikipedia gosh. article, they mentioned the Burroughs Clearinghouse, and I was like, oh my god, this is great. And then I started doing research on Bur- Burroughs Clearinghouse, and I found one page that sort of described what they were trying to do, um, and it was basically this catalog where if you wanted to order old copies of it and basically described what they were trying to do with if the our, magazines. If our listeners wanted proof that we have no lives. You just <laughs> yeah, exactly. you just stated Except that in looking, a minute. You just found it. Yeah. That's how I spent my Sunday. Yeah, there you go. That's no, how much I love was, you. That was fantastic. So, yeah. so you are there right you now. Your head's down, probably doing PowerPoint, correct? I am heads down doing PowerPoint, and now I have another reading oh, to do geez. for my yeah, list. Yes, and um, but I do. I head out uh, tomorrow. I'm um, I'm heading out tomorrow to the lovely uh, Hartford, Connecticut, to do a workshop. Um, and then right back home again and then headed out yeah. to Intelligent Content in Vegas so, next week. So, yeah, so we have a lot going on. Actually, tomorrow I think we open up our uh, open enrollment for Content Marketing Institute University. Oh, absolutely. Uh, today was the early bird close for Content Marketing World. Next week is Intelligent Content Conference. I think we, I think we have enough things launched. That, yeah, exactly. but, yeah, but actually you and I will probably be doing the next PNR from Vegas perhaps. I'm pumped. We're going to have to. It's going to have to be Sunday, we but have. we can talk it's about Monday. That. The workshops will be Monday. Yeah, for sure. But there you go. Absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it um, for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And, you know, we do love those story ideas. Please keep them coming, especially the examples of This Old Marketing. We'd love to hear from you. Hashtag This Old Marketing on the Twitter. You know where that is. And, you know, you can also send us an email if you've got any questions to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com if you like that channel. And if you like this episode, number 120, we do hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links we talked about today will be in the show notes available within the actual show notes when we publish later on Monday night. And, of course, on the show post that appears at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturday. Until next week, everybody, remember, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.